Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Periodical Podcast. Things are going to look a little bit different this week as my usual co-host Tavis is out sick today, so I'll be covering the entirety of this week's content. We won't have our usual back and forth banter, but I want to do my best to bring as much energy and help you further understand what we're talking about. Speaking of which, this week I'm going to be talking about the energy transition and what that means for the global energy industry. To get more detailed information on this topic, be sure to check out the periodical that I released this past Wednesday, November 18th. I know all of you know that the conversation about climate change has been a hot topic around the world in recent years, but it has recently been a focal point of the conversation in the United States during this highly contested election. Propelled by climate activism, strikes, and social movements like Extinction Rebellion, a number of governments have declared a climate emergency, and progressive political parties are making plans for a rapid transition to clean energy under the banner of the Green New Deal. But what exactly is the energy transition? The energy transition refers to the global energy sector's shift from a fossil-based system of energy production and consumption, namely crude oil, natural gas, and coal, to renewable energy sources like wind and solar, as well as lithium-ion batteries. As more investors and companies seek greater clarity and confidence in accounting for long-term climate risks and opportunities, businesses are adapting to the energy transition, switching from non-renewable energy sources like oil, natural gas, and coal to renewable energy is mainly possible by technological advancements paired with a societal push towards sustainability. The increasing penetration of renewable energy into the mix, the onset of electrification, and improvements in energy storage are key drivers of the energy transition. Spurred by structural permanent changes to energy supply, demand, and prices, the energy transition also aims to reduce energy-related greenhouse gas emissions through various forms of decarbonization. While the dramatic rise in renewable energy is certainly fueled by individuals' desire for a sustainable future, federal subsidies are certainly the icing on the cake to incentivize companies to take action. Although the billions in federal subsidies for wind and solar energies are set to expire in the near future, the demand for renewable energy, driven primarily by corporations' large-scale renewable energy purchases, will likely remain high. The transition has been underway for years, but is rapidly picking up the pace. In fact, the International Energy Agency forecasts that the total renewable-based power capacity is going to increase 50% between 2019 and 2024. Such rapid changes has allowed solar and wind producer NextEra Energy to become the largest energy company, eclipsing both Exxon and Chevron in terms of total value. The skyrocketing market capitalization of NextEra Energy then begs the question, what is the cost of the energy transition? Opinions are mixed, but one thing is certain. The transition will be costly. Bloomberg New Energy Finance Limited, or BNEF, estimates the amount of investment dollars needed for new power capacity alone globally over the next three decades to be about $15 trillion. No one ever said going green would be cheap. Yet the amount of investment dollars to be directed towards expanding wind, solar, and associated systems will not be the only cost to be borne during the transition. There will also be steep environmental costs as well. What many individuals do not realize is renewable power sources like wind and solar require a lot of metals and other minerals to produce essential components for their installations. Therefore, as the demand for wind turbines and solar panels jump, so will the demand for the metals they are sourced from. As the mining expansion becomes even more substantial, it adds economic, social, and environmental costs to the energy transition. Last month, Wood Mackenzie estimated the energy transition will require 
$1 trillion in investments in several key metals alone. To give a more detailed picture, the world would need nearly twice as much investments in critical energy transition minerals over the next 15 years as it has invested over the past 15 years. Then, 20 to 25 years later, many of the installations made for these metals will need to be retired. This means going into landfills because not all solar and wind equipment can be recycled. Wood Mackenzie is not the only firm to note the cost of such a transition. Back in 2017, the World Bank questioned the required metal extraction to generate 7 terawatts of energy by 2050, or an estimated 50% of the world's energy. Their findings uncovered that it would lead to dramatic increases in the extraction of precious metals like silver going up by as much as 100%, or iridium increasing 920%. Such extensive amounts of mineral extraction for components essential to creating solar panels would require the commissioning of 130 mines the size of the Mexican Pascanito mine, which is the largest silver mine in the world, and that spans some 40 square miles. Therefore, the transition to renewables is going to require a dramatic increase in the extraction of metals and rare earth minerals with real ecological and social costs. In addition to the costs of mining minerals to create renewable sources, there are also associated costs with energy storage. Without storage, the transition will simply not happen. The World Bank estimated, again back in 2017, that grid-scale storage capacity would need to ride from 100 gigawatts in 2015 to 305 by 2050, and in 2014, the EIA reported an even higher estimate of up to 500 gigawatts in storage needed. The problem is, 99.3% of available grid-scale storage is used for pump hydro, which has severe limitations. So, batteries appear to be the alternative, but at a cost. Tesla and French companion Neon recently announced they would build a 300-megawatt battery in Victoria, Australia. Capacity on its own, however, tells little to the everyday individual. For context, the 300-megawatt facility would be capable of storing enough renewable energy to power half a million homes for an hour, and it would cost $84 million. There are lithium batteries that could supply power to households for even longer than an hour, and more are being developed. While primarily used to run vehicles at the moment, their capacity still remains limited to a few hours, which has made some observers compare them to so-called peaker plants, which are power plants that generally only run when there's high demand for electricity. The problem with lithium batteries is the fact that lithium extraction would need to increase 2,700%, which creates an ecological disaster as discussed earlier. For a consistent power supply relying predominantly on renewable energy, battery storage is not yet feasible. Current monetary and sustainability costs are associated with storage and transition of pure renewable energy. That is why the energy transition must take place over the course of many years. It will be impossible to switch immediately over to pure renewable energy without the investment of trillions of dollars and implementing a technology that, well, it's not yet available. So clearly, there are monetary, ecological, and societal costs associated with the energy transition. But what are the benefits? There's no denying society has decided climate change is a real threat to the planet. Either human population growth has to subside, which it won't, or carbon emissions will need to be significantly curtailed to avoid disastrous outcomes for our planet. This is the goal of the energy transition. By moving away from heavy carbon-emitting energy sources to low or even zero carbon sources in the future. Luckily, the BNEF's latest 2020 New Energy Outlook projection for the evolution of the global energy system over the next 30 years shows that emissions from fuel combustion peaked back in 2019. 
down approximately 8% in 2020 as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Energy emissions are set to again rise with economic recovery, but never again reach 2019 levels. From 2027 on, they will fall at a rate of about 0.7% per year through 2050. In fact, the report finds that the stark drop in energy demand due to the pandemic will remove about two and a half years worth of energy sector emissions between now and 2050. This prospect is based on a huge increase in wind and solar power, the surge of electric vehicles on the road, and the improved energy efficiency across all industries. As stated earlier, the increase will require a major expansion in mining, which mining is an energy-intensive and not particularly environmentally friendly way of getting a finite resources out of the ground. Assuming the green energy trend continues, wind and solar will account for 56% of global electricity generation by mid-century, and combined with batteries will account for 80% of the $15.1 trillion invested in new power capacity over the next 30 years, which doesn't even include an additional $14 trillion which needs to be invested in the power grid. As a result of the energy transition, energy-related carbon dioxide emissions in the United States dropped 3% last year after rising by 3% in 2018, according to the U.S. EIA's Energy-Related Carbon Dioxide Emission Analysis. CO2 emissions from the United States electric power sector hit their peak back in 2007 and have since dropped 33%, which is mostly attributed to more electricity generated from natural gas and other non-carbon sources as opposed to coal. While a small portion of these reductions in emissions can be attributed to the global pandemic, decimating hydrocarbon demand, various countries around the world have made zero carbon emission goals in the near future. Some companies like BP, Total, and Royal Dutch Shell have also announced plans to reach net zero emissions by 2050. Some states have even mandated emission goals, like recent cities such as Cleveland, Ohio, who voted to implement even bolder goals of supplying one 100% of their electricity from renewable sources by 2023. Now, while that's not super realistic, it's definitely a solid goal. While wind and solar seem to be the most popular carbon emission reducing technologies on the market, they're not the only ones available for these lofty environmental standards. So according to the EIA's Renewable 2020 report, renewable power generation capacity will increase by 7% this year, despite a 5% forecasted decline in global energy demand. These developments paint the renewable sector as a lot more resilient to the pandemic than the fossil fuel industry. It is, of course, supported by governments and companies striving for net zero future and throwing their weight behind wind and solar projects. But what about a happy medium? In addition to the traditional renewable sources of wind, solar, geothermal, hydro, tidal, and even biomass, there is another emerging player in the clean energy sector with the potential to strike a balance between hydrocarbons and renewables. That is where hydrogen the simplest and most plentiful element in the universe consisting of only one proton and one electron, comes in. Although simplistic and abundant, hydrogen doesn't actually occur naturally as a gas on Earth, and it is always combined with other elements. Think water, for example. It is also found in many organic compounds, notably the hydrocarbons that make up many of our fuels, such as gasoline, natural gas, methanol, and propane. Hydrogen can be produced from a variety of domestic resources, including natural gas, nuclear power, biomass, and even renewable processes like solar or wind, which make it an attractive fuel option for transportation and electricity generation. Hydrogen can be separated from hydrocarbons through the application of heat in a process known as reforming, or by sending an electrical current through water, a process known as electrolysis. Currently, most hydrogen is made from natural gas through reforming. 
But why is hydrogen so important to the energy transition? Well, hydrogen is high in energy, but an engine that runs on pure hydrogen produces almost no pollution, but it's a technology that has been around for years. In fact, NASA used liquid hydrogen since the 1970s to propel the space shuttle and other rockets into orbit. A hydrogen fuel cell combines hydrogen and oxygen to produce electricity, heat, and water. Fuel cells are often compared to batteries as both convert the energy produced by a chemical reaction to usable electric power. However, a hydrogen fuel cell will produce electricity as long as hydrogen fuel is applied, which it never loses its charge. The only issue with hydrogen fuel cells is the fact that hydrogen does not occur naturally and therefore has to be extracted and then compressed in fuel tanks. Another possible use is the addition of hydrogen to natural gas, which has been shown to have beneficial effects in terms of improving combustion properties while reducing pollution emissions. The UK actually became one of the first countries to successfully implement grid injection of hydrogen, essentially blending hydrogen gas with natural gas in a 1 to 4 ratio. The application of hydrogen to natural gas allows customers to continue using their existing natural gas appliances with no need for major adjustments. ITM Power estimates that a natural gas hydrogen blend of similar proportions rolled out across the entire country could save up to about 6 million tons of CO2 emissions every year. That's comparable to about taking 2.5 million cars off their roads. And that's just in the UK alone. Although not entirely carbon-free, the process utilizes an abundant source of fuel both to create hydrogen and generate energy, it reduces overall emissions, and has little societal or ecological impacts. Even as the UK became one of the first countries to successfully implement grid injections of hydrogen, the hype around hydrogen as an energy source has made headlines in recent months. Back in July, the EU unveiled a hydrogen strategy that immediately captured the imagination of the renewable world and was hailed as one of the most ambitious hydrogen plans ever. This strategy laid out plans to install 40 gigawatts of electrolyzers within the region's borders and also supported the development of another 40 gigawatts of green hydrogen energy in nearby countries that have the capacity to export it to the regional powerhouse. Back in November, Australia announced that it had awarded major project status to the Asian Renewable Energy Hub to accelerate the development of a 15,000 megawatt wind and solar power plant for the production of hydrogen and ammonia. The products would then be exported to the Asia-Pacific region with plans to scale that up to a 26,000 megawatt facility, making it the largest of its kind in the world. Talk about an energy mix. Even Germany is hopping on board with their recent commitment to invest 9 billion euros, or about $10.2 billion, towards hydrogen technology in a bid to decarbonize the economy and cut CO2 emissions. While still members of the EU, the German government alone has proposed to build an electrolysis capacity of 5,000 megawatts by 2030 and another 5,000 megawatts by 2040 to produce fuel for hydrogen. Not only are entire countries jumping aboard the hydrogen train, but super major oil and gas company BP is also joining the club. In November, they announced their plan to jointly develop an industrial-scale electrolyzer project with Danish energy giant Orsted Energy for green hydrogen production. The plant will be powered by Orsted offshore wind and will initially replace 20% of natural gas-based hydrogen used at BP's Lingen refinery. The excitement behind hydrogen lies in its infancy of technology, but is not a new idea. A hydrogen fuel cell has been around for years, and it'll combine hydrogen and oxygen to produce electricity, heat, and water, but it remains inefficient due to the fact that hydrogen must be created before its use. Injecting hydrogen into natural gas will increase combustion efficiency and reduce carbon emissions, and it's already taking the world by storm, 
due to the element's abundance and progress towards improved emission reductions. The sustainable answer to the future suggests an energy mix that is neither 100% renewable nor carbon-based. The dependence on fossil fuels must decline and even nuclear needs to become a bigger part of the mix. To believe that the world can run 100%, heck, even at 50% on purely renewable energy sources, it's just short-sighted. Regulation and commitment to decarbonization has been mixed, especially in developing countries. But the energy transition will continue to increase in importance as investors prioritize environmental, social, and government factors. Even more so, the beauty of the energy transition is the fact that there's no path paved forward. The world is still determining what is the best course of action as they continue to forge ahead. Here's the thing. Modern economic growth has shown not a single instance of a country successfully developing without the use of fossil fuels, and ordinary people around the world are fully aware of this. As societies begin pushing for more management of carbon-based resources, the energy mix will continue to change. During this crossover, fossil fuels will begin their journey to the rear of the portfolio as other more sustainable forms of energy enter into the mix. Unfortunately, the energy transition, as urgent as many claim it be, will not be cheap. The obvious cost exists for expanding solar and wind generation capacity and storage, plus modifying the grid to support an increased portion of energy demand. But there also appear to be other half-hidden costs that are not just financial, but also social and environmental. That is where a middle-ground approach must be reached. The point of the energy transition is to gradually shift the leading source of power and a cumulative energy mix, and the pursuit of a single source of energy is not only foolish, but irresponsible. The world needs all the energy it can get as humans continue to develop the globe. Every single energy source is valuable, and people must find the most efficient way to integrate each of them into the global energy portfolio to create the most progress into the future. Now, I know this episode was a little bit different with just kind of me talking at you guys, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you leave us some comments. If you like this more than Tavis and I's usual back-and-forth banter, let us know. If you want you know, Tavis to come back in here, which I know we all do, uh, leave us comments. Just let us know. Leave us comments on on any of your sites that you're listening to. Heck, even send us an email at podcast at rarepetro.com. But that's all the time I've got. So until next time, have a good one. 